around here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shields up. Signatures detected. Context Southfleet Command. What's happening? Context Southfleet Command. Delay that order. Context Southfleet Command. This is the captain. Context Southfleet Command. Get out of my chair. Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to The Greatest Discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. It's a, it's a special episode today. It's an episode that is looking directly at a mainline Greatest Gen episode. Yeah, do you hear, do you hear that out there? Those people chanting outside our houses, begging us to do this episode? Yeah. They, they heard that episode of uh, Greatest Generation. They insisted that this happened. I'm uh, I'm stepping out onto my front porch right now. I'm addressing the assembled people, and uh, I'm saying, "People of Reddit, <laughs> lay down your keyboards. <laughs> we have heard you." Yeah, we love our listeners. They keep multiplying, Ben, and that's the same problem that happens in this episode, right? Oh, good point. Whew. Yeah, that's what I do. That's my Tribble. You hear my Tribble? Your Tribble doesn't like Klingons. Yeah, I guess I'm a Klingon. (laughs) Have you been Ash Tylered? I guess so. Have you had two dicks this whole time? (laughs) Hold on, let me check. Um... This, uh, this is the Tribble that comes uh, comes out on tour with us. Somebody gave it to us. And, uh, That's right. It's the tour Tribble. We always put it up on our uh, up on our stage table. Yeah. The table that we sit at while we are attempting to entertain people. <laughs> our growing table menagerie. Yeah. So while we were watching the Deep Space Nine episode, it became clear that uh, there was some source material that we might want to familiarize ourselves with. Mm-hmm. That coming in the form of this episode of the original series, uh, which is many people's favorite. This is definitely one of the iconic original series episodes. Is it the first episode that Klingons appear in? Sure seems that way because uh, they can't seem to decide how to pronounce that word. And I am reluctant to criticize anyone's pronunciation of anything. Yeah. However, uh, they don't appear to know whether or not they are known as Klingons or Klingons. Right. A a word that will be decided upon later, I guess. They also uh, claim to speak Klingoni. Yeah. Day of the Dove? Is that the first appearance of them errand of mercy is the 26th episode of the first season of star trek it was the first episode in which the klingons appeared i think that they they are in less offensive like makeup in this episode than they are in uh in that because i'm looking i'm looking at a picture on wikipedia and it is real rough yeah they're only distinguishing characteristic in this episode is uh, is the goatee, and that's a goatee that does go through an evolution, it would seem, yeah. throughout the original series. It's crazy how in TOS, and in a lot of TNG also, like there are aliens that are just like bone stock humans that don't have any like anything to distinguish them from humans at all. Right. And nobody ever goes like, wow, isn't this fucking crazy? That, like, you arose and evolved on this planet light years from the planet that we arose and evolved on, 
and yet they're like indistinguishable from us. So much so that Kirk can fuck all of you. This is what normalization is, right? The yeah. longer you go without talking about the thing that everyone recognizes is a little fucked up, the greater the chance that that thing is just recognized as as being a normal way things are. Yeah. No one questions that the Klingons look exactly like humans except they have goatees. And as a viewer, I think you come around to accepting that fact fairly quickly. It is a it is a technology that works. Yeah. I think what, what these characters could use is somebody on Twitter reminding them that this is not normal. <laughs> Just as this episode is not normal, Ben. It's a very special episode of The Greatest Discovery. Let's get into it. Let's talk about the original series, Season 2, Episode 13, The Trouble with Tribbles. So they're headed to Station K-7. There's talk of some some kind of Starfleet colonization push. They've, I guess they've gotten a, uh, a priority one distress signal from K-7, so they're uh, concerned that there may be some some Klingon stuff happening. They're uh, sitting around with Chekhov uh, in this opening scene, and uh, Chekhov says uh, that they're close enough to smell the Klingons, which Spock takes great umbrage with. I was making a little joke, sir. Chekhov's posture tells me that they are not doing that elementary school-style scoliosis testing (laughs) that I know I experienced growing up. I don't know if you got that at your private tennis academy, but... They would, they would line us up by the hundreds, and then they would make us bend over, and they would look at our backs to see if they were fucked up. Did you ever get that treatment? No. Wow. This must have been just a public school thing that, that kids who grew up in the 80s went through. I never went to a public school. And that's why your back's all fucked up. <laughs> yeah, look at me now. <laughs> World-class education, and here I am yelling at you about Star Trek on the internet. With the way that Kirk, you know, like asks questions of his assembled crew like they're an Alexa computer, you'd think he would order Chekhov to sit up straight at some point. It's a very informal ship. Kirk just like in that wraparound tunic uniform. Looking very great. Looking good and green, I would say. Yeah, he's a handsome devil. They're discussing this planet, this planet known as Sherman's Planet, and... The idea that both the Federation and the Klingons have a claim on it. But as they're, as they're chopping up the dispute at this meeting, they receive a distress call from the orbiting station K-7. And they haul ass out there because whenever you receive a priority one distress call, you know what to do. You got to read those priority one messages. <laughs> yeah, and then get your money. Right. Uh, so yeah, I guess they're probably just excited about getting 50 bucks or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they really step on it. And, uh, when they get there, they find that the station does not appear to be under attack in any way. Kirk is on the, uh, is on the radio with Mr. Lurie, who, uh, issued the distress call. And, uh, the concern was like, yeah, we're just worried that some Klingons might do something about all this great grain we've got here. Kirk is pissed off like a 911 operator would be at a kid who calls and hangs up. Right. Like he's just totally, he's crazy about this. You don't just priority one message, kid. <laughs> I love how how much 
Kirk holds the grudge in this episode, yeah. too. <laughs> the entire 50 minutes of the episode. Any opportunity he gets to insult this guy, he fucking takes. Yeah. Yeah, the station manager, Lurie, which is aptly named, I would say, right? In the sense that he has lured the entrepreneur to the station. Yeah. I guess, no, I guess it's Barris that he that he hates more like Lurie he kind of thinks is like an is an idiot, but he's yeah. like the older guy in the orange that that allowed the priority one message to be sent. And then it's Barris, the one that Kirk drags all the time. It's that question of like between the customer and the client who's actually the boss. Like right. Lurie's the station manager, but his client is Nils and he's the guy in charge of the agribusiness and he's the one who ordered the distress call. The precious cargo that they want to preserve is called Quadro Triticale, which is the only grain that is uh, capable of being grown on this planet. We get to look at this a couple of times. And it's, it's like blue, bulgur wheat. Right. If you're, uh, if you're a celiac person, you, do, you want to steer clear of Sherman's planet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they do not have any gluten-free menus it's a nightmare for people like that. Yeah. <laughs> Niles introduces his attache, Arn Darvin, who we know from the Deep Space Nine episode, who didn't strike me at the time, but definitely strikes me now as a man who has been dressing at the same place where Pee Wee Herman gets his clothing. <laughs> he's got that shiny gray suit. Yeah, he's got like a... He's got like the Nehru jacket version of Pee-wee's suit, I would say. Yeah. So Niles is making the case that uh, safeguarding this grain is of such importance that that the entrepreneur's job should be to do that. And Kirk is irritated at the idea that he and his great ship are given such a pedestrian job. Yeah. I, I don't think he has like much choice in the matter, but he's he basically is like, I'm going to do the bare minimum to comply with what's being asked of me here and no more. <laughs> it's a form of passive aggression that I can really get behind. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like uh, it's like anytime you know we have some work to divide up on this show and uh, and you and something is asked of you. right. and i'm uh, I'm gonna be busy with those other things. yeah. At those uh, moments. So they beam down two, count them, two security guards to look after the uh, the tons and tons of grain that are currently being stored on Deep Space Station K-7. Kirk needs a place to seethe. He's not feeling great about his circumstances. And what's the best place to do your seething, Ben? It's the bar. Yeah. Obviously. And it's in the bar where we meet Cyrano Jones. Yeah. Who's the merchant who is... Doing that irritating thing of soliciting to you, not at your doorstep, but at your actual workplace. Right. This is why you don't do bits on tips. The bartender here is a captive audience who cannot escape. Yeah, it's, um, it reminded me a little bit of when I was, I, I spent a little, a short amount of time in the liquor business and would occasionally go like rep a product at a, at a liquor store and... I was very much a dilettante at this and not well suited to the like salesman aspects of it. But occasionally I would be at a liquor store while there would be another like real like brand rep from a real liquor company (laughs) trying to sell something. 
And uh, th- that's kind of the vibes I got from Cyrano Jones, like yeah. the idea that uh, you just like walk into a retail place and say like, hey, I've got some products and they should be on your shelves. Let me show them to you. Pretty rough stuff this bartender's going through. He yeah. doesn't have a good episode, I would say. No. He's he's fairly bedraggled throughout. Uhura and Chekhov are hanging out at the bar and uh, kind of uh, amusedly observing this when Cyrano Jones pulls a fuzzy little ball of joy out of uh, one of the many cargo pockets on his ridiculous outfit. I saw this guy in the DS9 episode, but I didn't really make the connection that he is what Odo and Worf were dressed up as. Yeah. I, I don't know why it didn't occur to me, but uh, obviously, like, this is, like, the look of a certain kind of, like, random item salesman. <laughs> yeah, when, you, when you're in the business, this is your uniform. Yeah. He pulls out this furry boutonniere, and Ahura just falls right in love with it. She loves this thing. May I hold it? Ben, what if you could have a cat, but none of the downsides? That's 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 the answer the Tribble provides, right? Yeah, I mean, our our Tribble that we take out on tour, I do have to like brush uh, every couple of days just to kind of keep the hairball issue at bay. Yeah, but other than that, I don't have to do anything. Yeah, it can it can ride under under the seat in front of you in an airplane. Yeah, totally yeah. not disruptive or stinky. It's it's a little embarrassing when the TSA finds it in your luggage, but. <laughs> yeah, but the TSA are full of Klingons. Yeah. It's only embarrassing for the reason that it uh, reacts badly to their presence. Right. Fucking Chekhov is that guy at the bar that, like, eats the shelled peanuts and then, like, tosses his nuts onto the surface of the bar instead of the floor. Like, he totally spills his grain all over the surface of the bar next to him and doesn't even clean up after himself. Yeah. Come on. What the Come fuck, on, Chekhov? Chekhov? Stand up straight and clean up your mess. He's the Forrest Gump of Star Trek. Slouch, Forrest, slouch! <laughs> That's a horror. Yeah, yep. In the bar fight scene, and it yep. turn, turns out to be super adaptive because he's always ducking people's punches. <laughs> slouch, check off! So the, the deal is cut where the bartender is going to buy a, like, I don't know, a dozen tribbles from this guy, but he gives the, the this is his uh, his salesman sample, and he gives that to Uhura just to be a super nice dude. Meanwhile, up on The Entrepreneur, uh, Kirk is getting orders from Starfleet HQ that, uh, in fact... Uh, Undersecretary Barris's orders are the orders. He's going to have to devote a lot more of the entrepreneur's resources to protecting this grain from potential Klingon incursion. The mission pivots from grain protection to Klingon defense almost immediately. Yeah, like they they get this they get this call and then suddenly. D7 is inbound. Which I think is great for Kirk, right? He would not be happy to be babysitting Grain. He wants Klingons to fight. Yeah, yeah. Because after all, uh, he's never trusted Klingons and he never will. (laughs) Not after the death of his boy. Yeah, he cannot forgive them for this stupid Grain defense mission. Yeah. 
so he runs up to the bridge. I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, he takes a real long route around the bridge to get to his chair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like he got, he definitely goes further than he needs to. Uh, but radioing up to the station, they uh, they decide. Um, I guess the Klingons have just uh, arrived in Lurie's office. Yeah, and I think that observation about Kirk's path to his chair is important because that's the time that it took for Lurie to invite Koloth and Korax into his office to take the meeting. Right. Like, it happens instantly. Yeah. If Kirk had been a little bit quicker, he might have been able to prevent this whole thing. Right. Kirk and Koloth uh, seem to know each other. Ah, my dear Captain Kirk. My dear Captain Koloth. It's how I greet a friend. That's interesting to hear, because you've definitely never greeted me that way. Indeed. Hmm. Same guy that plays Koloth in Deep Space Nine? Yeah. That's fun. Young, handsome. Yeah, virile. Great big crank. <laughs> These Klingons are just humans with goatees, and they're on shore leave. Yeah. They they take great pains to mention that they are of no threat. They're just there to have a good time and have a couple beverages at the bar. Yeah, and they kind of cite chapter and verse of treaties that enable them to uh utilize this space station for shore leave and uh and so nobody's really in a position to say no to them and kirk being the master of treaties understands that uh that he can enact a sort of policy where he matches one for one the number of klingons to federation guards on the station and so he does that yeah you know I mean, and and that's a nice idea, except for it doesn't seem to actually have any practical ramifications. Because when we start to see Klingons on the station, it's not like it's not like there are six Klingons in the bar and also six armed police. It's there are six Klingons in the bar, and presumably somewhere else on the station, there are also six armed police. This is another way in which it becomes a very bad day for the bartender because he didn't staff the bar expecting this number of patrons. Right. Had he known, I think he would have more service there. Yeah, it's like a Wednesday night that somehow got super bumping and he wishes he had a doorman. Yeah, it's tough. He can barely keep up. It's very challenging. We cut to the rec room and Ahura's Tribble has birthed a whole litter of Tribbles. And uh, there are so many that McCoy feels emboldened to ask if he can take one away and study it. Yeah. And Ahura's like, sure, I'm not attached to any of these. Yeah, go ahead, cut it open, see if I care. (laughs) (laughs) There are enough that basically anybody that's in the room is given one as a gift. It's the the, uh, cardboard box full of kittens at the grocery store. Would you say the A and the B story are equivalent here? And I guess by A story, I'm going to talk about grain protection and the story <laughs> the idea of these tribbles or would you say those are reversed or like is one more important or less important or are they equal to each other i feel like there's an equivalence here well adam the episode is not called the trouble with triticale mm, there's the answer anytime you can earn yourself the title of the episode yeah you can be assured that you are the a story <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to get a story status every time we record this podcast yeah. And I'm, I, I rarely get it. <laughs> so there's like a lot of stuff that is going to happen. The, um, you know, the doctor is going to start to study Tribbles. Kirk is uh, very cranky about all the security that he's got to do. And, you know, the station is starting to fill up. There are Klingons. There are uh, officers from the entrepreneur on shore leave. A lot of them wind up finding themselves 
in the bar, and uh, that's when Korax starts to kind of uh, starts to kind of pick fights. He's he's uh, he's looking to instigate a bar fight, and so he just kind of walks around the bar talking smack about Kirk for you know at at great length, and uh, and Chekhov is like really really interested in in. Uh, taking him up on the fight that he's clearly spoiling for. But Scotty has been given orders by the captain to do everything he can to prevent any funny business like that. You can understand why Korax is so upset. It's taken forever to get a drink at this bar. (laughs) Yeah, it's like I can get sold a triple before I get the fucking drink I ordered? What the hell? It's a scene where you you learn how Scotty can get Marty McFly'd by someone yeah because all you need to do is insult the great ship entrepreneur and uh, that's what it takes to get the nine fingers of fury (laughs) all up in your grill yeah because scotty throws the first punch yeah this is like i thought a lot about in this scene the idea of them george lucasing this episode like cbs or whatever right like putting some Deep Space Nine characters, like putting them in the TOS episode, right? Like they were all always there, which I kind of think would be fun, right? Like, like just have O'Brien in the background throwing some punches. Also, I'm with you. Like I, th- I think it would be cute and interesting, but I get the sense that the people who really like original series Star Trek would hate that. Yeah, but I like. Wouldn't it be fun to also kind of stick it to them? I mean, <laughs> evangelical original series Star Trek fans are some of the the most annoying Star Trek fans there are. Right. And so, of course, I would be interested in in tweaking their nipples over this. But <laughs> but you're right. It is an interesting thought exercise. Like how if they ever thought of doing that, and how close they came if they did. Yeah, I don't know. This would this would have been a, a fun scene to leave some of that stuff in, but um. Did you peep the Klingon with the Larry David haircut in this fight? Yeah. yeah. I love that guy. That's the one that uh, Chekhov goes up against and punches in the gut like six times, right? He's great. Chekhov real bent over even even when he's fighting. Yeah. He's like, uh, is that Blanca from Street Fighter 2? The guy that electrocutes himself. Yeah. yeah. That, he, he kind of fights like him. Yeah. This fight scene also has uh, a lot more... A, a lot more visual gags related to Cyrano Jones than uh, than I think I realized in the DS9 version. Like Cyrano Jones walks in and like is offering offering triples to people. Offers mm-hmm. another triple to the bartender, and the bartender starts pulling triples out and like really making a big show of how many triples are present at the bar. Were you surprised that at no point was a triple ever used for anything? But as a pet, like yeah, they don't go flying. I thought for sure one would get thrown, one or several would get thrown in the bar melee, or that the bartender would use a triple to clean up a spill or something. <laughs> like how absorbent is a triple is a question that I had that had, that will go unanswered. I think. Yeah, or like have a Klingon grab a guy by the belt and the collar of his shirt and like run him into a wall, and the guy puts a triple in between his head and the wall right at the last <laughs> minute to soften the impact. Or a or a Klingon punches a human in the stomach, and the and the human is like oh with his mouth all wide, and then the Klingon crams a little triple into his mouth, and he's like. Woo, woo, woo. 
you know, stuff like that. Somebody does like an end zone celebration with a triple, like <laughs> like dunks it into the ground and then does a little dance. Like a great big unit, like staggers around before falling backwards and then totally squishes a triple. <laughs> it's like stepping on a ketchup packet. <laughs> Yeah, this is what what TOS needed was more gore. <laughs> I mentioned this in the, in our uh, episode, our I Mud episode. Like sometimes I think that TOS was meant to just be a funny show. Yeah, yeah, I feel the same. To that extent, it it is, and it works. Yeah, I think before watching any TOS, I approached it seriously, and that was a big mistake because approaching it the way we have, I enjoy it a lot more than I thought I would. Yeah, it's not trying to be the same thing that TNG was trying to be. Right. Cyrano Jones drinks like four cocktails during this fight. Like the the fight actually works out really well for Cyrano Jones. Yeah. Uh, Cyrano Jones drinks four cocktails and also has a couple of broads just because he knows, you know, he's having a big night. God, you could fit a couple of hundred packs in those pockets. Yeah. He's got room for broad. (laughs) He's a broader, not a shower. We get the scene where Kirk dresses down his uh, his men after the big fight. Um, I, again, I am fascinated by the Chekhov, I know you. Right. What? <laughs> Under what circumstance would your boss say, I know you? I mean, we know that Chekhov wasn't in the entire original series, and I wonder how new he is to the show at this point in time. Maybe, yeah. It was in iMud, which was like... yeah seven episodes before this or something like that it's weird it is uh it does feel a little incongruent yeah oh no no one's talking everyone's covering for each other the way that a middle school fight would go you don't want to be the rat yeah so they're all gonna have to do some some time in uh confined to quarters duty uh but scotty uh once everybody else leaves kind of confesses to having been the one to start the fight and it's a it's like this it's played for comedy this whole scene yep. where he's like explaining like well they were like saying some real mean shit about you and i managed to like keep everybody from fighting while that was happening but then right. then they insulted the ship and that really set me off in six bay the tribbles have multiplied and spock and mccoy are debating the merits of tribble affection in a pretty fun way yeah Spock's not a cat person. <laughs> right. I think that's what we're able to derive from this conversation. Yeah. I don't think he's a dog person either. No. He's like a fish person. It takes a village to make a fish man. I love all the scenes of McCoy studying the Tribbles. Yeah. I think they're my favorite parts of this episode. I love that big, like, clear cylindrical container. Yeah. The, the what is it? The cake case? Yeah. I want that. Yeah. I don't know what I would do with it, but I want it. On the bridge, Kirk sits down on a on a whoopee tribble and observes that the tribbles are all over the bridge stations. They're just everywhere and on the walls. Yeah, this is this is a scene where in the in Deep Space Nine, like he looks over and Dax is is standing yeah. there, and it looks like they make eye contact. And I was really surprised that they didn't have a character there that they'd painted out in Deep Space Nine. Yeah, the their ability to make that look work on Deep Space Nine is amazing. When you see the original, yeah, like they kind of made it a different thing than it was. McCoy enters, and his description of the Tribbles is folksy and hilarious. This is 
some real chicken fried Dr. McCoy <laughs> hilariousness here, and I just love it. Yeah, Spock is really starting to is really starting to get annoyed with this. He's like, they all they do is eat and reproduce, and they don't give anything back. And uh, her is like, well, they at least they don't shit. <laughs> like, we don't have to clean up after them. That's nice. Spock describes the Tribble situation as a real failure to launch. <laughs> All they do is sit around and consume. When yeah. are they going to get a job, Spock says. It's starting to become uh, a big problem that these things are just everywhere. Yeah, and so Kirk wants Cyrano Jones arrested and the Tribbles rounded up. He wants to put them in camps, Ben. Yeah. Tribble camps. Spock kind of dresses Cyrano Jones down about uh, what a foolish idea it was to remove Tribbles from their uh, predator-filled environment. <laughs> I wanted so bad the cut to planet Tribble, <laughs> the natural environment, and the predator stalking its prey there. Yeah, the case that is made, basically, is that Tribbles just eat and reproduce. Like, baby Tribbles are essentially what Tribbles do to shit. Yeah. Like, all they do is convert matter into more tribbles. Right. Uh, but that must just be, like, paradise for the the wolves of Planet Tribble, right? They just walk around <laughs> eating all the time. The wolves of Planet Tribble have got to be really fat fucks. <laughs> like, there's no end to the amount of tribbles to eat. They are gorging themselves. Yeah. When... Kirk and Spock interrogate Cyrano Jones. He doesn't see anything wrong with what he's done. And this is an irritation to both Kirk and Spock. And then Cyrano leaves, a free man. Like, he's not detained. Yeah. They detained him briefly to ask him questions, and then he goes. But he does that thing where as soon as he leaves, Barris walks in and confronts Kirk with his suspicion that he's actually a Klingon agent. Yeah, Barris is is pointing the finger at Cyrano Jones and right. is rip shit at Kirk at this point. You know, both because Kirk has insulted him a, mon a bunch of times, but also because he thinks that Kirk is kind of allowing this awful Klingon plot to go down right under his nose. And Spock is like, well, listen, like, there's no evidence that Cyrano Jones broke the law. So, you know, our hands are kind of tied here. It's a real predicament. And what Kirk needs more than anything is a meal to think things over. Not going to have the meal on the station, though. He heads back to the ship where the food uh, the food dispenser spit out plates of, uh, of tribbles. He was expecting to have the Popeye's chicken sandwich, which he had heard is really great. Oh, yeah. But instead he gets a tray of fur. Yeah. What kind of fucked up meal order is a chicken sandwich and coffee? Yeah, that doesn't sound good. I mean, I know you don't like it because it's a sandwich, but... I like a uh, fried chicken sandwich. But would you ever have it with coffee? I don't think I, don't, I would. I don't think I would either. Even an iced coffee, I wouldn't. I wouldn't pair with a fried chicken sandwich. Yeah, it's one of those things. Like, like In and Out Burger added hot chocolate to their menu, and it's like the first thing they've added in a really, really long time. But why? And it's like who, who is getting hot chocolate with a burger? Can you get it animal style <laughs> with a bunch of both cooked and uncooked marshmallows in it? <laughs> Yeah, and Thousand Island. <laughs> Kirk's tray is an alarming sign that no one is wearing hairnets where the food is being processed on the entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, somebody should go down to the uh, go down to the galley and shoot all of the mashed potato 
pots. <laughs> yeah, take back all the food handlers permits from yeah. those guys. So they uh, they had this this kind of puts Kirk onto like what is causing these tribbles to reproduce. They're eating at him. So uh, they head to the station. They uh, they go to like open the the uh, silos full of grain, and we get the famous hilarious scene where they just come dumping out onto Kirk's head as he leans it in so that they can dump on him more. Yeah. Rather than taking a step back. <laughs> he kind of motorboats those tribbles as they come down. Yeah, yeah. It's like... Uh, it's a real hairy motorboat situation. Tribble all over my face kind of situation. <laughs> He's like picking up a tribble and like slapping it against his cheek. <laughs> He's doing all the things. He loves it. Yeah. He acts like it's grossing him out, but he loves that shit. <laughs> oh, the grain compartment is just thick with these things. Yeah. Yeah. And he goes, num, num. Give me those triples. Beerus is 60s pissed yeah. at this scene because all of his grain has been eaten. Yep. No more grain. He's ruined. Yeah. This uh, he's ruined the uh, the colonization efforts for Sherman's planet are totally derailed. Uh, this is a this is a fucking catastrophe. His anger is kind of mid Atlantic adjacent, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's mid Atlantic mad for sure. <laughs> um, they start to realize though that uh, a lot of these tribbles they dead, which is so gross. Yeah. Makes it makes it even grosser what Kirk did when they started tumbling out. <laughs> uh, yeah, Kirk is standing in a dead Tribble graveyard, and you can be sure these Tribbles are going to hell. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't know, but we do know is that uh, Cisco and Dax are up there in the silo looking for the bomb Tribble. Right, which means they're up there with a bunch of dead Tribbles, too. Yeah. They're throwing dead Tribbles at Kirk's face. Yeah, and uh, and Dax is like, when you entered this silo, did uh, did you see a sign that said dead triple storage? <laughs> because storing dead tribbles ain't my fucking business. I know my chicken sandwich is good. <laughs> I buy the good stuff. If I let my ankylosaur buy the chicken sandwich, she gets the cheap garbage. <laughs> I'm not here to talk about the fucking grain bearers. I'm here to talk about the dead tribbles on my station. Dorks. Kirk and Spock look like a couple of dorks. <laughs> uh, yeah. So they meet up with Koloth in Lurie's office. This is Kirk and Spock. And uh, Koloth asks that the triples be removed from their meeting. This McLaughlin group... Issue one. ...is one, uh, one of those meetings where you've got your Eleanor Clift, you've got your Pat Buchanan, you got Clarence <laughs> Page. Uh, not invited are any triples at all. Yeah. And it's upon removing the triples from the scene that the big reveal takes place. Cyrano Jones is uh, he's got like arms full of them, and uh, as they're as the two security men are walking out, Iron Darvin walks in, and the triples react as though he is a Klingon. Yeah, he's been outed as an Ash Tyler. Yeah, Kirk grabs a triple and kind of like goes around and holds the triples up to everyone in the room and they like the humans, they like the Vulcan, they do not like the Klingons and they do not like Arn Darvin. 
Do you think that tearing a triple open is a feat of strength, like ripping a phone book in half? Like, do you think you could do it? Uh, my dog got a hold of our stage triple one time and, and put some rips in it. Oh, no. Yeah. It's okay. It's 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 going to live. But Based on that information, I feel like you could rip a triple in two. Yeah. It would have been nice to see somebody do this. <laughs> it's really all I want to see. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see some more of that grape jelly. Unlike Ash Tyler, though, Arn Darwin is detectable by by tricorder. So I guess maybe the tricorder technology has come uh, quite a ways since since the days of discovery. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, I guess the that 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 does make sense, right? Like the Federation would be interested in making sure that an Ash Tyler type situation does not catch them with their pants down again. Yeah. It's a real fool me once, shame on you kind of situation. Yeah, it sure is. So that hangs together Yeah, as an overarching story. But uh, Bones also has some news that the uh, Quadro Triticale had a virus in it. And so, hence all the dead tribbles. <laughs> and uh, and that would have uh, really fucked the colony up. So this whole Arn Darwin scheme was, in fact, to uh, to supply this new new Federation colony with poison grain. And the Tribbles, in in a lot of ways, foiled the plot. The Tribbles are the heroes of the day. Yeah. They detected the bad guy and stopped his evil plan. We can't forget that. Basically, the Starfleets didn't do shit. <laughs> There's that scene at the end of the episode where, where they give medals to all the Tribbles, only because the <laughs> Tribbles don't have necks. The, yeah. the ribbons just, like, fall to the ground. Chewbacca is there, and, like, you kind of get the sense that he identifies with the Tribbles sure. because they're also furry like him. Yeah. But for some reason, again, he does not get a medal. God. It's like, what the hell? It's such an insult. What does a Wookiee have to do to get a medal around here? I don't know. We'll never know. <laughs> Back at the K7 bar, Cyrano Jones's punishment is to pick up every one of the millions of Tribbles on the station or be the bartender's butler. Sort of an unorthodox uh, method of punishment there. It's going to take him 17.9 years to do it. And uh, you can imagine that by the time he's picking up those last few tribbles, they're going to be mighty smelly. God. Having all died from this quadrotriticale virus. What a terrible station to be assigned to, this K7 station. You do not want to go there. What is Cyrano Jones going to do with the tribbles that he gathers? Like, there's, a, like, the button on the episode, the true button happens on the bridge where the ship gets underway and, and the ship is now tribble-free thanks to some quick thinking by, uh, by Scotty. Scotty mentions that he has beamed the tribbles onto the Klingon ship specifically to their engine room. Here's the thing. Yeah. We know what happens to the Enterprise tribbles. What happens to the K-7 tribbles? Are they... Are they beamed into space? Are they shot with phasers? Are they incinerated? What happens there? Are they all dead? And if so, what? Why can't Cyrano Jones just beam them all into space? Yeah, Cyrano Jones should be like using a push broom and an incinerator if they're all dead already. Yeah, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. He could probably do the seventeen-year job in like three years if they're all dead. Yeah. Did you like the episode, Adam? Yeah, I think I did. And and the reason was the same as before. Like approaching this as a comedy makes it very enjoyable. Yeah, it's fun. I loved it quite a bit. 
I liked it too. Uh, I I liked the set of the office where you could see the entrepreneur out the window. Yeah, like that was flying big by, and and uh, at one point they got on the view screen with the guy, and they could see you could see the entrepreneur behind him on the view screen, which I think might be the only only time I can think of in Star Trek where you could see the ship that the call is coming from in the shot. All the remastered shots in TOS are beautiful and awesome. Yeah. And I really love them. How'd they get everybody's hair looking so shiny? I don't know. You could like see your reflection in Spock's hair. I mean, I don't think they had pert in the 60s. Yeah. They had something though. They're definitely not using two-in-one shampoos. No. In the 60s, they're just using asbestos, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's just really bad stuff. Yeah, that's the best way to <laughs> maintain your hair. Uh, the best way to maintain the production of our show is the reading of Priority One Messages. Ben, you want to check those out? I do like a Priority One message. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. Our first Priority One message, first and only Priority One message... This Priority One message stands alone. It's from Mock, son of Kevin, and is for Christar Shrimp, Kolgar. <laughs> what would the greatest discovery do without this gang? <laughs> Christar Shrimp Kolgar being buried under Priority One messages. He's, uh, he's worth thousands at this point, yeah. clearly. Message goes like this. Christar, I will help restore your house's honor at your wedding as a member of your Dust Buster Club. I am hoping there will be rich beef sausages or perhaps fifth meat at the reception. Oh, wow. Man, Kern fears nothing. He'll talk about fifth meat openly. Gotta get that caviar at the reception, shrimp. Oh, shit. I mean, that's the kind of... Uh, it's the kind of seafood that you should probably have there. I'm sure with a nickname like shrimp, one might expect that flavor. But uh-huh. uh, break out the beluga. Damn. <laughs> Spread it on all over that turkey. We've all had turkey and caviar at, at wedding receptions. Yeah. I mean, I'd say turkey with caviar on it might be what they're talking about when they talk about fifth meat. <laughs> mm. Fifth meat, second dinner. That's what a wedding reception is also. Yeah. Everyone's already eaten by then. Don't make the mistake of going to a wedding having not eaten. That's my advice. My wife passed out at a wedding one time because she had like two glasses of wine after not eating. Just, I mean, no one's asking you to load up. Yeah. Have a, Just have a snack and, and don't go in there hungry. Just maintain. Mistakes can happen that way. Yeah. Well, one thing that's never a mistake is the uh, the writing and reading of a Priority One message. You can make that possible by going to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where personal messages are $100 and commercial messages are $200, both of which help with the ongoing production of The Greatest Discovery. They sure do. Thanks a lot. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from... What am I going to have for dinner to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals? And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. 
Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product, or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next gen skin safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra large Manscaped t shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda. I'm going to give it to Cyrano Jones. I think that uh, he is fitting the description for me of the character that is having the most fun and uh, inserting the most chaos into the episode. That's a great pick. He is com- comic relief in a in a pretty funny episode. Like all his the reason for all this, all his hijinks in the bar. Like the idea of a bar fight breaks out, and your first thought is, "I'm gonna steal some drinks." <laughs> it's very funny to me. Very drunk Shimoda move. He doesn't go full mud either. Like he's not he's no. not totally silly. He's just a little silly. Yeah. And he's also not like he's not totally evil in the way that mud always is revealed to be. 
he's salesman silly the way a salesperson needs to be charming. He's, yeah. he's like that, you know? What about you? Did you have a drunk Shimoda? In the scene in the rec room where Ahura has, like, gathered her assembled and multiplied tribbles on the table, mm-hmm. like, there's a, there's a bunch of other... Uh, other Starfleets in there and they're all petting them together and they're sort of falling in love with these things. Uh, there's an Ensign. I have learned this is, this is Ensign Freeman sitting next to Uhura and uh, he's wearing a gold uniform. He asks Uhura at the end of the scene if he can have one. Uhura says yes. <laughs> and then the one that he takes is not the one that he's been playing with, but it's instead the triple that the lady next to him has bonded with. Did you notice this? Uh, I did not notice that, but that's very funny. <laughs> it is a super subtle bit of physical comedy that it's like in the corner of the frame. It is not even something that I think most people are supposed to pay attention to. But that choice by him to not take his triple, but to take someone else's, I thought was awesome. And so uh, Ensign Freeman is my drunk Shimoda for that. Wow, that's great. Good pick, Adam. Well, once again... Uh... No idea what our next episode is going to be, but I know that there are some uh, Star Trek Discovery comics yeah. coming out. So those uh, those are for sure going to be covered by us soon here on The Greatest Discovery. But We cover it all. Check back in a couple weeks and uh, there will be another great, great episode of The Greatest Discovery. Take it away, Rorbs. The Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun podcast, hosted by Benjamin Harrison and Adam Pranica. It's produced by me, Rob Schulte. Our theme music is by friend of DeSoto and YouTube sensation Adam Ragusia. The Greatest Discovery is made possible by the support of our listeners like you. Make sure the show continues by going to MaximumFun.org donate. If you'd like to discuss the show online, please use the hashtag GreatestDiscovery. You can find Ben on Twitter at BenjaminAHR, Adam is at CutForTime, and I'm at Rob K. Schulte. Thanks, we'll see you on the next episode of The Greatest Discovery. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.